Welcome to the Slow the Fuck Down Show. I'm sensuality coach Casey Hall. And I'm trauma healer Elizabeth Menzel. Each episode, we choose a theme and explore different stories, skills, and songs on that theme to help slow you down and lift you up throughout the pandemic and beyond. It's the darkest day at the darkest time of year, and you might be feeling a lot of darkness right now, unless you're in New Zealand. On our winter solstice episode, slow the fuck down with embracing your darkness. By the end of the show, you'll walk away with practical skills that actually work. So the pandemic has caused a massive slowdown. And for a lot of people, this has given them kind of a snapshot of their life, an opportunity to pause, look around and reflect on what you've created so far. For some of us, that's a mixed bag. Maybe you're enjoying spending more time with your family or getting to do things that you didn't have time to do before. And maybe there's some deeper, darker truths that are coming up for you. Maybe there's issues that you haven't been addressing that you're realizing need addressed. Yeah, that's part of a slowdown, right? Is that when you slow down, you get to see more of what was already there. And I feel like this pandemic is just putting a magnifying glass on all of the good and all of the maybe not so great that was going on in your life. And while we know that embracing your darkness is ultimately a good thing because it's a necessary part of the bigger healing picture and process, it's also really scary and confusing. And going into it with no guidance can feel really uncomfortable and overwhelming. So if you're having trouble with embracing your darkness, we dedicate today's show to you. So when you hear of darkness, what do you think of? I think most people think about the bad parts of themselves or their anger or their violence, you know? And so we wanna say up front, if you are having problems with obsessively thinking about hurting someone, then we suggest you get professional help. You can call 1-800-662-4357. That's 800-662-4357. Now, if you're afraid you'll seriously hurt yourself, please call 800-273-8255. That's 800 273 8255. And if you're with someone whose darkness might be out of control and is a threat to you, then you need to get yourself out of harm's way as quickly as possible and get to a safe space. You can call 911 and tell them what's going on, and they can guide you to a safe house near you. Now, for the purpose of our podcast today and supporting you in embracing your darkness, what I'm really talking about here is getting to know the parts of yourself that you're not so familiar with. Like one of the most important sayings there is to me in my work is know thyself. Really getting to know all the parts of you, the parts you like, the parts you don't like so much, and our unconscious mind is 95 to 99 percent of us. We are only functioning at one to five percent consciousness. So that unconscious, there's a lot in there that we don't know what it is. So getting to know all those parts of yourself that you're not even aware of yet, that could be considered your 
darkness. The light hasn't been shown on it. You're not aware of it yet. It doesn't have the light of consciousness shining on it yet. So you're just, you don't even know that it's there. Carl Jung, he introduced to the psychological world shadow work, and that's the process of diving into the unconscious mind and uncovering its tendencies and fixations in order to integrate them further into conscious awareness. So when I'm thinking of darkness, I'm going more on that Jungian definition of it. I also love Dr. John Parakis's take on your darkness, which he called the lower self. A lot of people are familiar with that. Your lower self, your higher self, and your mask self. And he has this great diagram, which in the center is what I would call your centeredness, your core, your oneness. He called that your higher self. And that's your total unitive state, where you are just knowing that you are one with everything. Then around that core circle, he has a ring, and that's your lower self. And that's the part of you that holds yourself in separation from your oneness, that goes against healing and what's good for you. The part of you that drives you to do things that you, you kind of already know it's going to hurt, or it's going to hurt someone else, and you go ahead and do it anyway. And that's because you're disconnected from this core, compassionate, oneness, loving self. And then on the very outside of that, even further away from the core of your being or your higher self, is your mask self. And that's the part of you that pretends to be just so loving, but you're being fake. It's not real love. Or so spiritual that you hold yourself above everything. Or so powerful that you're omnipotent and those little things just don't bother you. They don't touch you right? Or that you have complete power over everything. And that's the completely false self that's disconnected from your true higher self that is powerful, loving, and spiritual, but it's parading as those things when you're in denial, really, of your lower self, which is part of the importance of embracing your darkness. <laughs> Right? Because the, the whole point of embracing your darkness is that you're not in denial of any aspect of your being. Because when you're in denial of aspects of your being, that's when you can act out and really hurt yourself or someone else. And we find ways to justify that. We blame and we find ways to create conflict and disharmony in the name of maybe speaking our truth but really we're just doing things that are hurting someone else or hurting ourselves. So I think when, when you aren't willing or don't put in the effort to explore and embrace all aspects of your being, that which is known and that which is unknown, then you're apt to do some damage in your relationships. I like how you shared that, you know, John Parakis talked about the higher self, the lower self, the mass self, and then you brought it back to the very important point is we are all of those things. Right. Like I used to really just, I wanted to be so compassionate and understanding and accepting. And in the process of, of trying to sincerely be that way and really cultivate compassion, I was a doormat. I let people walk all over me. I was in such 
denial of my own needs and my own humanity that A, I held myself to this impossible standard. <laughs> And B, like, I wouldn't speak up for myself. I wouldn't admit that I needed or wanted anything. So then there was this denial of the full me and the part of me that can say, oh, no, I don't really like that. Or it's not okay with me for you to yell at me. Like, no, don't yell at me. You, you've got to talk to me with, with respect or don't talk to me. I just wasn't able to do that. And that's how I managed to stay in an abusive marriage for four years. And what was the process of going into the darkness that allowed you to see that you'd been acting like a doormat? Honestly, for me, I was in so much therapy during my marriage. Um, I had five therapists. So it wasn't like I wasn't working on myself or I was avoiding my darkness. It was that I was actively repressing and denying it. And I really wanted to punch my husband in the face. Like, I was never going to punch him in the nose, but I used to dream about it. I used to dream about punching him. And there was so much pent-up angst and energy and inner conflict because I was holding it all down and holding it all inside. And so a part of my healing was was admitting to myself, yeah, you know what? There's a part of me that wants to punch him, but I'm not going to. Like even just <sighs> admitting to myself and embracing that part of me that wanted to do him harm calmed down that inner conflict that I was feeling. You know, and then I could just admit it. And it wasn't such a big deal anymore. Mm, kind of diffused the energy around it. I did. I diffused the energy around it. Actually, one of the things I did to help me with that was um, something that Dr. John Paracas teaches. I got a punching bag and punching gloves. And I'd wrap my wrists and I'd put on these huge boxing gloves. And I would work out with my punching bag a few days a week. And I would... <laughs> to get all that violence and anger and hostility out of me. And I'm so not used to that action that it would exhaust me in like one or two minutes. Like I would just be completely out of anger. I did that for two years straight. I did that every few days. And it really, really helped me to get all that anger out because it wasn't just the pent up anger from my husband at the time. It was from a lifetime of abuse from men, sexism, my harsh childhood. It was the accumulated violence that was pent up in my system. And I really needed to work that through. Then I stopped dreaming about punching. And then what got me to gain a cognitive understanding of my own darkness was nonviolent communication because it got me in touch with my needs. I was so used to saying, no, I'm fine. No, I'm okay. No, I don't need anything. Like I was so on automatic pilot <laughs> with that, that it was deeply programmed in my mind. I understood Dr. Marshall Rosenberg's teaching of your thoughts and emotions are fueled by your needs. Like it totally made sense. Like when you have a need that isn't met, 
you get thoughts and feelings around that, right? So if I have a need for safety and I don't feel safe, I get not thoughts and feelings around that. If I need, have a need for respect and there is nothing but disrespect going on around me, I'm going to have thoughts and feelings about that. If I have a need for communion and I'm isolated, I'm going to have a lot of thoughts and feelings about that, <laughs> right? So totally got the concept, but wow, getting myself to the place where I was able to say, I need respect. Could you please speak kindly to me? <laughs> was, I mean, that took years of me working directly with Dr. Marshall Rosenberg in trainings, in practice groups. I carried around a little cheat sheet all of the time because I had just been in denial and disowned that whole part of me that was human and has needs. I often say, you're human, therefore you have needs. <laughs> that has become uh, such an equalizer. And to show like the integration, I now go around waving my need flag. I'm like, I need this, I need that. <laughs> like I am so, uh, I've so integrated, uh, I'm human and I have needs. I've so integrated that into my system that I am rarely in denial and therefore rarely in conflict. There is not a lot of conflict inside of me or in my friendships or in my romantic relationships anymore. And that is solely because I've really slowed down and looked at all of my parts and, and try to be honest about my likes and my dislikes, speaking them when I need to speak them and being respectful and setting boundaries, setting boundaries with love in a kind and loving way that takes everyone's feelings into consideration, but still saying no when I need to say no. <laughs> and then I started, um, then I learned the nonlinear movement method. And I started really moving that through in nonlinear movement method sessions whenever it would come up. But by that point, the, the angst of that all, I just didn't have that anymore. I think that's really been my journey with reclaiming those parts of myself that I really judged harshly. And what I appreciate about that story is that you said NVC was a tool that helped you embrace these, these darkness, these parts that were dark or the unknown, that it took a long time and that it was challenging and you would not have been able to speak your needs. You would not be at the place where you have relationships that rarely have conflict in them. And I said before that embracing your darkness is a necessary part of the bigger healing picture and the bigger healing process. And that's a perfect example of it because had you just gone on being a doormat and trying to solve this problem with all love and light, do you think you'd be where you're at? There's no way. There's no way. And also, you know, I think one of the things we don't realize is that being in denial of the parts of ourselves that we judge takes a lot of energy. Like you're holding a lid on a part of yourself and that can be exhausting for people. I was exhausted all the time back then. I'm energized all the time now. I don't think that that's a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> when you're not looking at your darkness, and again, I'm calling darkness anything that's unknown or unclaimed or judged about yourself, those parts of you, they're always going to creep out 
in some way. Those parts of you are always gonna come to the surface in some way. They're always gonna show up. No matter how hard you try to keep that lid on, they're gonna come out and create conflict in your life. There's no doubt about it. And someone's gonna get hurt. On my sensuality coaching website, I have you are not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. You're a whole being who doesn't need fixed. And I really want to bring that to this conversation too, because there's so much shame and societal conditioning around feeling like we have to hide these things that we perceive to be you know, our, our darkness. I used to think that I was numb, like I was physically numb or broken. That's actually what got me into working in sensuality. And I remember having so much shame around that and, and literally feeling like a broken person who was never going to be able to feel sensations in the way that I wanted to. In order for me to lean into the darkness of feeling numb and what was going on behind that, I had to approach it with a sense of curiosity. It was like I had it in my mind so much that from a medical standpoint and from a logical standpoint that I was so broken that it was, I couldn't be fixed. So I was so I ended up bringing in this element of curiosity and being like, well, what if I'm not broken? Even just that little, huh, that question created that space that eventually led me to the sensuality coaching. And it was there the first time that somebody told me, hey, you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. You're a, you're a whole being. Your body feels numb because at some point it was trying to protect you and you haven't learned yet how to deal with that. Exactly. I'm so glad that you figured it out and that you got your awesome sensuality training and did it for yourself just as much as to help others with that same process of thawing, coming out of numbness and back into sensation. Right? Because that's what trauma does to us. Flight, fight, freeze, faint. Freeze and faint are numbness. Right? They're trauma responses and they need to be dealt with with, with skill with compassion, with the right pace, not pushing too much, because that makes us close up and go tight again. Yeah, I'm so glad you got to reclaim, reclaim your sensation. Reclaim the sensation and then, you know, just learn through working with myself and other people and from what you shared, you know, nobody has a broken sexuality at their core. You can always recover it. What covers your sexuality is the layers of fear and trauma. And then by healing the things that are originally, or by healing the things that are covering that original sexuality, that's how you slowly get back to it. I think it's important to remember that there are so many layers to darkness and there's so many layers to healing and you get to navigate through them little by little at your own pace. Yeah, at your very core, you're not broken. I think that just bears repeating maybe a hundred more times in this episode. <laughs> because you're not. You're whole and loving and kind and beautiful and present 
and soft and generous and safe at your core. And all the layers of trauma over time cover up that part of you. And then you get to identify with your darkness. You identify as, I'm a bad person. I'm an unlucky person. I'm not worthy, right? Those all come from the layers of trauma. They're not the whole <laughs> you. They're just the trauma talking. They're trauma thoughts. That's what I call them, trauma thoughts. And you know, in my, my own process of embracing my darkness of anger and admitting that I even had anger was part of my journey back to feeling my wholeness. We live in a society where obviously anger is not okay because it can be dangerous, right? You can hurt yourself or someone else. I understand where that comes from. But in sexism, it is especially not okay for women to be angry. And it really isn't okay for women of color to be angry. Like, whoa, that's super taboo in our screwed up patriarchal society. I remember being in third grade and was always sweet, always kind, always a good little girl and I'm getting off the school bus. You know, it's a whole line of kids and all the kids are shoving and going crazy like they did every other day. But I got pushed a little bit as I was going down the stairs of the school bus and I landed on the ground. I turned around to the kid that was behind me. So he's a bigger kid and he's up on the stairs of the high school bus and I grabbed him by his lapels and I shook him like a rag doll. <laughs> and I said, don't ever push me again. And I whipped around and started running home and I felt so ashamed and so embarrassed and like such a bad girl for letting my anger out. The kid was in shock because I had always been silent and sweet. <laughs> That's like such an example of if, if we don't just own it, it's going to come out in some harsh way. I'm just having a little image of like childhood Elizabeth grabbing someone by their lapel. <laughs> I can hardly fathom it. And I felt shame for that for years. Now I think it's funny. But, <laughs> but that's part of embracing your darkness is you're not so hard on yourself on the inside. I think that's one of the biggest reasons that it's important is that harshness that you might feel towards others, you're probably feeling 10 times as harsh on yourself. And when you slow down enough to be with your darkness, you develop an awareness of it in yourself. And when you work with that and you heal that, what ends up happening is it creates a lot more compassion for other humans. So for example, one of the trauma responses that I didn't even know I had until I started to go into my darkness is the freeze response. And it comes up whenever I feel extremely overwhelmed or like caught off guard. I will literally just go into a freeze response. And I started to become curious and start to really recognize that in myself. And now when I'm having a conversation with a person or a client, I know what it looks like and I know what it feels like. And so it allows me to be a more compassionate human because I can see it and I can do what I know works for that, which is to stop, take a breath, breathe in my lower belly, Let's lean back 
and do a little check-in. Hey, how's it going? Or maybe I'll adjust my body language, but I know what it looks like. And when you have that awareness, you're much more likely to show up with a response of compassion instead of a response of judgment. For sure. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing around embracing your darkness is you're becoming aware of all the parts of yourself, right? So your flight, fight, freeze, or faint response, and that freeze response can be that deer in headlights where everything goes blank. <laughs> I can't think. I can barely move. Like sometimes I can move my eyes and I can't even move my head, right? It's if you think of an animal in the wild, slow down fans, right? If you think of a deer, any prey animal, right? And they just freeze. And they kind of look around and their ears twitch around because they're looking and listening for the predator. That's a freeze response. So I, I, I bet you can relate to it in your own way. I'm sure. I'm sure you've felt it at some time. But yeah, for me, the worst part of it is my mind goes blank. Can't even put, get out a sentence. It's that shock that comes back all of a sudden. Even if there wasn't a trigger, it can happen. That's why I like working with you because we both know how to recognize it. <laughs> We just recognize each other's responses and do loving check-ins. and Totally. We were on a walk to just today <laughs> in Frick Park. And I was just like, oh, shit. I've got no clue what I was going to say. Completely gone. And Casey's just like, that's okay. We're just going to breathe and walk and you'll think of it. <laughs> Center back in. Do my five steps that I teach let myself just be and then she was right there there it was it came right back up again no problem <laughs> so we're able to have a lot of uh compassion for ourselves and each other <laughs> when that comes up and it creates a, a new level of freedom and authenticity too when you can just be like yeah i'm an imperfect human and you know i'm a result of all of my life experiences and i'm just doing the best i can Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Because where I used to be hard on myself, you know, I should be perfectly present at all times. I'm a healer. I've awakened. I've, you know, meditated 17 hours a day in a Tibetan monastery for weeks on end. Like I should always be in perfect presence. And it's like, oh no, I just totally spaced out. <laughs> so much softer, so much easier. <laughs> That's going to happen, right? So that, that deep level of just acceptance, acceptance of your flaws or what you consider to be your flaws. I mean, if you know someone who doesn't have a flaw, <laughs> let us know because <laughs> they're probably not human. They are probably a replicant or an alien or a clone. So report to us immediately. <laughs> or an Instagram profile that's fake. Don't get me started <laughs> so the phrase embracing your darkness you know can bring up a lot for people and it's not necessarily something that people are like yay let's do it <laughs> right it's it's ugh, there's a lot of those responses through coaching thousands of people and through taking a trauma awareness course called creating safer spaces which is amazing one of the biggest factors to embracing the darkness in a way that is effective, that is inviting, that is not going to overwhelm your nervous system is to create a safe space. It's to create a safe space 
as the practitioner and it's to create safety inside your body and learning how to do that. Yeah. And if you look at like, you know, when you go into a neighborhood that you've never been to before, you don't feel as safe as you do in a neighborhood that you go through every day or that you live in, right? So when there's unfamiliarity, when you haven't explored and embraced your darkness, there is a lot of unknown. And that makes a space feel unsafe. The brain feels safe when it's familiar, feels unsafe when it's unfamiliar. So what you're living in is your own inner space, your own inner world. When that has a lot of areas that you're in denial of, you're in judgment of, you're not willing to look at, you're not embracing, that means that there's a lot of unfamiliar inside of you and you will be in a perpetual state of unsafety inside. So setting up a safe space like Casey and I do in a professional session is so important and also important for you to make your surroundings as safe as you can. Cozy. I'm really into nice lighting. I've got too many throw blankets. (laughs) (laughs) I am so all about making my home feel like a safe space. You know, and so many people say to me since I've lived in Pittsburgh these last couple of years, oh my God, I can't believe you left Los Angeles. You had this huge, you know, movie star, rock star, producer, director, clientele, and you know, your life was so fabulous. How did you leave all that behind? And I'm like, I never quite felt safe enough in LA. It was overwhelming for me. It was too many people, too much smell of piss, because it never rains. So it never washes away all of the dog and human urine. Too much traffic. Like there was just too muchness. And remember, one of the shortest definitions of trauma is too much, too soon, too fast. Yes, even though I was doing well in so many ways, that deep sense of safety wasn't there. And that was worth letting go of everything for me. And I tried. I mean, listen, you know, I had therapists, I made a beautiful space, I did all of the things I could do to feel safe inside of me, but my outer world just wasn't safe enough. And now I'm here in my my lovely home, in my quirky neighborhood, and I feel really safe all of the time. And Pittsburgh isn't overwhelming. It has a lot, but not too much. There's just not too muchness here. I think I didn't have the inner world skills to do it before. And then I got the inner world skills and then my outer world needed to match that. So I'm what one might call a lifelong learner. Um, I love new experiences. I love self growth stuff. Um, I'm a very experiential human. I'm going to talk about what not to do (laughs) when it comes to you know, really showing up and taking care of yourself in situations where the goal is to dive into some self-awareness or self-work and explore some of this darkness. So what I've done in the past is I've gone to weekend workshops or tantra retreats or medicine ceremonies and have just gone all set a good intention and then kind of totally surrendered which is 
the, uh, the advice that I was given. For me personally, as a highly sensitive person with a history of trauma, that was one of the worst things that I could have done. You know, it's, it's good to be open-minded for sure. And it's good to go in with not a lot of expectation. I, I can get on board with that. But what I learned is in order to take care of my nervous system and really show up for myself in those settings and set those healthy boundaries. Now, when I go into any setting like that, or if I find myself starting to kind of leave my body or lose my sense of, of presence or um, I'm not able to a- approach this with a sense of you know love and curiosity, I don't do it. And that's how I keep my own safety intact. I think you're wise to take your nervous system into account in such a respectful way and have that checklist for yourself is really important because the sad truth is there are a lot of unqualified people out there holding sweat lodges, holding shadow work circles, holding cord cutting ceremonies, which are so freaking dangerous that is not the way to do it. And they don't know that they're underqualified to safely hold that kind of energy and take someone through an entire healing wave. So I think you're wise to take care of yourself at that deep level. Thank you. And that wisdom came from doing the exact opposite. (laughs) So it went from, you know, going into darkness with uh, just you know, like I said, just completely open with no boundaries. Um, So again, that 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 darkness was a really important piece to get me to that point where I can now do that because I was re-traumatized. I re-traumatized myself. And I think that's one of the reasons that people are afraid to do, you know, uh, go into their darkness or do types of shadow work because they don't, they don't want to re-traumatize. They've already experienced trauma, which is largely what got them there in the first place. Exactly. And I'm going to let you off the hook and say you didn't necessarily re-traumatize yourself. You went into a situation thinking you were going to receive healing, and that's not what happened. I think people are so eager to to help each other, which is a beautiful thing, uh, but they might not have the skill to do it. And and that's where the re-traumatizing can happen. This is what I've witnessed in myself and others, is you can get stuck in the drama of it all. It can really keep you stuck in victim consciousness and really keep you stuck in the highs and lows of emotional turmoil. That's what I've seen, people who get stuck in shadow work loops. Victim consciousness is like falling into a pit and it can feel really hard to get out of. And nobody wants to feel like a victim or think that they're a victim. I mean, it feels horrible, you know. But when we experience trauma and that defeatist attitude gets perpetuated through thinking things like, I'll never love again. I'm stuck this way forever. I'm such a loser. I'm never lucky. I never win. Nothing good ever happens to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. I don't blame anyone including myself, you know, for being in victim consciousness. When trauma happens, you were a victim. You really were. And a lot of painful emotions and thoughts get frozen in time and frozen in your psyche. 
when trauma happens Mm -hmm. and they're so insidious that's the thing about embracing your darkness is embracing the part of you that hates yourself embracing the part of you that doesn't think you'll ever love again because that's the part of you that that needs to be loved even more and so i think part of embracing your darkness is truly learning to love the parts of you that hate yourself that at least was my journey with victim consciousness of learning to love myself when I hated myself. My main thing was self-hatred. So I couldn't stay identifying with my self-hatred. I had to accept and embrace, oh, fuck, I hate myself. Like, I seriously hate myself in order for me to then love myself and hold the part of me that hated myself with love. Mm -hmm. That's the journey. So I can't just focus on self-hatred, 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 because then I'm just going to perpetuate the self-hatred. So we just want to be clear that you embrace your dark side to increase your ability to love and accept yourself. So it's good to embrace your darkness, but just don't get stuck there. It's not about sitting and wallowing in darkness. In my happiness trainings, we're not denying your darkness. We're fully embracing it and we're bringing it into the light. And then the things that you used to be scared of about yourself, either you're just not scared anymore, you just accept them and it's normal, or you can giggle at them. The stuff I used to hate about myself is now either like, meh, whatever, or I laugh about it. So, you know, I used to really judge myself for procrastination and now I own I'm just slow. <laughs> I've embraced it so much I have a show about it. Like It's a superpower. It's a strength, not a weakness, that I'm willing to take my time with things, that I'm willing to give myself the time and space to feel safe, that I'm willing to slow down and really explore my psyche and help others do the same. My slowness is a superpower. So that, I think, naturally leads us into the golden shadow. The golden shadow is the great parts about you that you have ignored, denied, or judged. So one of my golden shadow things is I thought that if I was truly evolved, I would only be polyamorous. And that I wouldn't really care if the person I was with was also with someone else. I'd be totally okay with that because I was so enlightened and so evolved. That's how I should be. What I was in denial of was I'm a monogamous person. I love monogamy. I thrive in monogamy. I don't get bored with the other person. I'm monogamous. I held that and judged that as something bad and wrong about myself. But it's not wrong or right. It's just a part of me that actually serves me and actually brings me more joy. Another thing I used to judge about myself and think was bad and wrong was my feminine energy. But I didn't know that that's what I was doing because I didn't know what feminine energy or masculine energy was. (laughs) My earliest memory is um, being at the mall and going into my favorite shop, Spencer's Gifts. And I think that was a head shop. And then in the back of the shop was all the black light posters. And I got really into that when I was 10 years old. And a lot of the items in the shop had the yin yang symbol on them. And I asked what it was. And they told me that it was a symbol of the balance of life. I remember that so clearly. And I didn't really understand what that meant. But I was like, cool. The symbol of the balance of life. (laughs) a good explanation but I I didn't really get it but I could tell that it was significant 
I remember teacher be talking, I'd be like, I'm so cool. I'm doodling yin yangs on everything. No idea what it meant. Yeah. And I actually used to think that the white represented the feminine. But then I later learned that the white actually represents masculine energy and the black represents feminine energy. Yeah, I thought the same thing too. I thought it was the other way around. And then I learned that the black is the feminine energy. And so on this darkest day of the year, on an inward time of year, we want to honor our feminine energy. And so you can't do an episode on embracing your darkness and not talk about the feminine. Absolutely. So just so everyone's clear, um, we want to give you just some examples of feminine and masculine energy. Abundance is feminine energy and minimalist is masculine energy. Intuition and wisdom is feminine energy. Mental clarity is masculine energy. Receiving, taking it in, that's feminine energy. Giving, going out is masculine energy. So feminine energy is doing your inner work, going inside, traversing your own mind, being, psyche, and really getting to know yourself. And the masculine energy is really going out into the world. It's action. Feminine energy is being. Masculine energy is doing. Feminine energy is connection and collaboration and relationship. And masculine energy is going it alone, doing it for yourself, standing on your own two feet. Obviously, our patriarchal society supports all of those masculine energy things, which are great, but the feminine energy things are also great. <laughs> so, yeah. And there needs to be that balance. Right. That little bit of dark in the light, that little bit of light in the darkness. You know, it's interesting when you were talking about the feminine traits too, I was thinking, wow, so many of those feminine characteristics have presented themselves in this pandemic, you know, looking inside, examining relationships. You know, we've had this opportunity to really embrace the feminine. Absolutely. I used to think, and I think everyone who's met me thinks I'm an extrovert, and <laughs> Once I started to learn how to embrace my feminine energy, I realized I can stay inside and it doesn't bug me. The quarantine part of this pandemic has not negatively affected me because I have more feminine than masculine energy. I'm really comfortable with being inward and staying inside. When I was young, the way I judged my feminine was I felt very emotional on the inside, but I forced myself to really keep my emotions under control to just be very mental about everything and shut down in my emotions. And relationship is the most important quality to the feminine. It's the most important quality to me, but that wasn't seen as valuable <laughs> in our society. And so I forced myself from a very young age to work. I didn't take vacations. I barely took days off. I was just always pushing myself. And that was totally out of pace and out of sync with my own internal rhythm. And another way I judged my feminine was I had super low self-esteem and I felt guilty about receiving. I, I loved doing things for other people. I loved giving, but man, it was really hard for me to take anything in. So I blocked all the goodness that was trying to get through to me. <laughs> um, so I was truly blocking that feminine energy flow that allows the goodness to come in and 
rejoices in nurturance and abundance and playfulness, all the things that are frowned upon in our effed up patriarchal society. Over the course of my personal development, I started really going down the rabbit hole, learning about masculine and feminine energy qualities and how I could befriend my feminine and not see it as bad things about me, but see it as qualities and strengths that were just as important, just as good as the masculine qualities. Mm -hmm. I just happen to have a whole lot of feminine energy inside of me. So I have inner preferences to be slow, self-examine, luxuriate, <laughs> uh, nurture relationships, and having them be the most important thing to me. One way I used to judge my feminine was to over-identify as a tomboy. I learned that being a tomboy was good because girls who were overly emotional were judged as being high maintenance or annoying. So if I acted like one of the boys, my life was easier. Another way is, and this is so weird to look back on, but I used to judge girls who wore makeup to be trying too hard and I didn't need to be girly to get attention. And it's so interesting because at that time, those were my genuine beliefs. And it wasn't until I actually, as adult Casey, went back and really identified like, you know, what is the feminine that I was able to even realize that I did these things and that this is how I used to think versus how I think now. Totally, totally. I wasn't a tomboy, but I hung out with the guys because I judged women as too emotional. In fact, I didn't even let myself cry. I kept the lid so tightly on my emotions. I didn't know that I had anxiety and depression. So I was just really trying to keep everything on clamp down and keep my emotions under control to the point where I did not even let myself cry for years, but I just felt like crying all the time. I just never let myself. And I mean, now I've, I've embraced my feminine so much. I cry at least once a week. Yeah. <laughs> and it's healthy. It's totally healthy, right? I just let it out. If there are tears there, they're going to flow. I ain't going to hold them in, <laughs> whatever my emotions are, you know, and that's such a huge part uh, that NLMM class has helped me with too. Even though I've been doing really deep inner work for three decades and have been embracing my emotions along the way, there was still so much pent up old trauma emotions and trauma thoughts locked up inside of me. Even though I had processed through it mentally, it was still really lodged in my body. And you know, the body is the terrain of the feminine. Physicalness, uh, movement, this is all the feminine. So that nonlinear movement method is so great for everybody, but especially those of us with trauma or with feminine energy that really needs to be expressed and explored in a totally safe way. And it's such a great safe way to explore and move and feel your darkness in a way that won't hurt yourself or hurt anyone else. And a really interesting thing happened after we do our movement in the nonlinear movement method class, we have a Q&A. And so one of the women shared that for the last week, she's been curling up on the couch with a blanket and being really cozy. And it felt really good, but she felt guilty about it because she wasn't feeling productive. And I asked if she had depression going on. She's like, no, I'm totally not depressed. I'm just really, I don't know what it is. <laughs> and I was like, you know, 
it's the solstice is coming up. This is the dark time of the year. This is the time to go inward. The seeds in the ground are dormant. We go dormant too when we're really in touch with the cycles and the seasons. And, you know, if you're not actually feeling depressed, you might be in a really beautiful self-nurturance stage. It could be the healthiest thing you could be doing. And, you know, when we're cozy and curled up and just feeling like reading a book and laying around, there's a lot of activity going on cellularly and deep inside of us, just like there is with those dormant seeds in the ground. They're getting ready for the next outward wave. And so I love solstice <laughs> because I feel... I feel like the celebration of solstice is the celebration of the feminine, and I feel honored and acknowledged within myself for embracing my own feminine and embracing my own darkness. And there's so many different ways the solstice are celebrated all over the world. We will post a list on Slow the F Down Show Facebook page where you can see 17 different solstice celebrations from around the world. It's, it's a really beautiful read. I love the permission and the encouragement that you just gave for those people who are feeling like right now they just want to slow down and be still and take care of themselves. Especially in a patriarchal society that values masculine energy and doing and go, go, go. I think it's really hard for people to wrap their head around, slowing down can also be good for you. Oh my gosh. I used to have such a hard time slowing down. And even when I talk to people now about our podcast called Slow the F Down Show, I sometimes hear the response, well, I wanted to listen to the podcast, but you know, the kids have been doing this and work has been doing this. And, the, and I wish I had the luxury to slow down. Oh my God. 20 year old Liz could totally relate to that. Not being able to slow down or perceiving that you can't slow down is another way that we deny our feminine energy. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, just like that yin yang symbol, we all have masculine and feminine energy inside. And we need to learn how to honor both feminine and masculine energy flows and not just honor them, but become really masterful with them, know when to use them and how to use them to stay happy and healthy. I've coached thousands of people who really wanted to make a change and it didn't matter if I gave the best coaching advice in the world or how motivated they were. If they didn't understand that they first needed to slow the F down, they could not be present enough to make the change that they were needing to make. And it felt like a waste of time. I remember when I was working 60 or 70 hours a week and going to school 20 hours a week and paying my mortgage and taking care of life. If someone would have just suggested that I slow down, I probably would have like given them the middle finger <laughs> <laughs> or just completely ignored it. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Same here. Cause yeah, I also felt like I did not have the luxury to slow down. It seemed like slowing down wasn't an option for me back then. My fear was that feeling my full emotions <laughs> and slowing down would so derail my life. And I realize now that it would have saved my life because I did not know then how badly I was spiraling out of control. I thought I was in control. And that control, that 
controlling something is unhealthy masculine energy. Directing, regulating, that's healthy. That's healthy energy. Because I didn't have the skills I have now, control was all I had. Locking it down, controlling myself was all I had. Now I regulate my nervous system. Now I release what's painful and receive what's healing. And I wish I had learned that, you know, 20 or 30 years earlier than I did. (laughs) And that's why, you know, sometimes the suggestion isn't enough. You need a little jolt. Yeah, because the suggestion totally wouldn't have worked for me back then. No way. No way. But if someone had literally like staged an intervention and been like, Elizabeth, you need to slow the fuck down. You are destroying your health. You are destroying your well-being. You're destroying your relationships. Like that would have helped. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so share our podcast with people who you know need to slow down. <laughs> because we have we get everyone who has a hard time slowing down because we were those people. We have been to the dark side of not slowing down. What? <laughs> I said it. <laughs> yes. And without going to that dark side, would not be able to be here with the empathy and the compassion and the uh, knowledge to be where we're at. I feel like if I can, if I can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> I'm so glad that we found ways to slow down and embrace our feminine energy because it really makes life so much easier. Yeah, it's way more fun. Yeah. Well, I just imagine that there are there are ways that our slowdown fans are already embracing their darkness. Casey and I love dark humor. <laughs> yes, we do. We're big fans of Monty Python and The Good Place. Love that if show. If you haven't watched The Good Place, watch it now. Drop everything you're doing and go binge it. <laughs> I think part of embracing darkness is also embracing death. You know, there's an old Stoic saying, you can't fully live until you embrace death. One of my first big conversations with Dale was about death. We talked about death for hours. <laughs> and that was part of how we could feel our simpatico nature. Is that like a first date conversation? Yeah. Well, I didn't know we were dating. So that's a whole other topic. Um, But yeah, we sat in a cafe and talked for five hours. And I'm really lucky because not a super conscious advanced family, but we knew how to talk about death. So my mom, my grandmothers, like we all knew how to talk about death. It was it was a common topic. And I don't think that's common for most people. I guess I just don't see death as dark. I just see it as natural. It's the end of a cycle. I think other cultures embrace death probably a little bit better than we do in the States. In Mexico, they have the Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead ceremony on November 2nd every year, and where you really honor those you love that have passed. I love celebrating that holiday. Dale and I went every year in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery in in Hollywood to that celebration. I would cry a lot while I was there, but it felt healthy Hmm. because our our culture so ignores and covers over natural life cycles and death. And there you're looking it in the face all day and night. It's with honor and respect. And that just feels healthier to me to just fully embrace 
death so that you can fully embrace life. Yeah. I have a thesis that goth movement embraces death and embraces darkness to feel the power that's in it or just the energy, you know, just the energy that's in it. And in retaliation to a society that doesn't embrace natural life cycles and covers it up. I really like that perspective on it. And that's the whole thing about embracing darkness is that it is all of the rejected pieces of our own psyche that are so full of energy and life. As a sensuality coach, what comes up for me is a lot of those things that you just shared, we do the same thing to sexuality, anything involving sex. It's like, we're good with birth, we shame sex, and then we don't talk about death. (laughs) (laughs) The pieces are missing. When you bring it, you know, when you can bring that to the light, or you can bring lightness to that, and normalize it and talk about it, and it becomes less unknown and that becomes less scary. Right. Yeah. There's research that shows by just meeting in groups and talking about your sex life can increase your relationship satisfaction by up to 40%. That's, that's a great thing about embracing what you consider darkness, right? We said this from the time this episode started is it's not necessarily about what's wrong with you or what's bad about you. It's also just that which you're too self-conscious to talk about, you know, what's too uncomfortable to talk about. And here, when you do, when you, right, embrace a little bit more of that improved relationship satisfaction by 40%, that's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't want that? We are going to go into our slowdown skills to help you embrace your darkness right after a commercial break and word from our sponsor. Hey, slowdown fans, get excited! The annual Epic Vision Board Party is going virtual on January 23rd between 12 and 5 p.m. You can show up anytime for this absolute positivity party. It is so much fun. We do speed healing circles on the hour every hour. That's January 23rd from 12 to 5. You can RSVP for free at thehappywomanacademy.com slash 2021. That's thehappywomanacademy.com slash 2021. We will see you there. Hi, Slowdown fans. It's me, Mother Nature. Without rain, there would never be rainbows. As above, so below. As within, so without. Remember to embrace your darkness. Thank you for that wisdom, our wonderful sponsor, Mother Nature. And now for our slowdown skills. So our first slowdown skill to help you embrace the darkness and the lightness and everything in between is to simply say, I love and accept myself exactly as I am. Yes, I love that one. I use it every morning and I use it when I'm going through difficult times or I find myself judging myself. I come back to that affirmation. Yes, and if you say this enough times, the end result of that is learning to love yourself in all the areas that you previously hated yourself or judged yourself. Yeah, it's a really great way to easily, without getting stuck down any rabbit holes or shadow work loops, 
to just really welcome in every part of yourself. I love and accept myself exactly as I am. It is simple and yet profound. I actually gave it to a client for homework yesterday and she emailed me today saying, normally she wakes up in the middle of the night and she has racing thoughts and she can't fall back asleep. But last night she said, I love and accept myself exactly as I am 50 times before she went to sleep. And she said she woke up in the middle of the night and her mind wasn't racing and she fell right back asleep. <laughs> it almost makes me cry. Aww. It was so great. That was her first time trying it and it worked that well. Well, and, and when you're really in the thick of it, you know, you're really you're really doing the, the shadow work or you're going through darkness. It's really easy to lose sight of that. I love it. It's so simple. I would recommend writing it on a mirror, writing it on something and putting it next to your bed. That's that's amazing. I'm really happy that your client's doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That one's, that one's gotten me through a lot of hard times. The next slow sound skill we want to offer for you is the work of Byron Katie. That's what it's called. The work. <laughs> um, it really helps you to come to that place of equanimity within yourself. You answer four questions and then you turn around your judgment and you see huh, the opposite could be just as true or maybe even truer. So it gets you out of that blinders on where you can only see one thing and you're super stuck on judging someone. <laughs> Just go to thework.com and click on how to do the work. We highly recommend it. I've had the absolute honor of sitting with Byron Katie on several occasions and doing the work with her. And it is a deeply profound experience to bring yourself not identifying with your darkness, not only identifying with your light and being in denial of your darkness, but getting to that truly centered point and seeing the equalness of all things. We know that embracing your darkness can be hard to do on your own, and we are here to help you. Go ahead and set up a free consultation with each of us at slowthefdownshow.com. And now for our slowdown playlist. Elizabeth, what's your slowdown song? My slowdown song for the week, I am really going into the darkness of my 16-year-old self. <laughs> so I chose... Bauhaus in the flat field. That's the whole album, especially the song Double Dare. Man, if that album can't help you embrace your dark side, nothing can. <laughs> How about you, Casey? What's your slowdown song of the week? Oh my gosh. I went right to Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. Nice. And it's funny. I don't, I would say I was probably between like 12 and 16, and it was the only CD that I had in my car. So nice. I just jammed out to it all the time. <laughs> so we both chose whole albums. And then also, <laughs> also our slowdown fan also chose an entire album. This is There's a lot of darkness, everybody. <laughs> we all are so good at embracing our darkness. Thank you, our slowdown fan, Jeff Mueller. His slowdown album is The Four Carnation. I know that it's EMP Men's Blues. And I think EMP stands for electromagnetic pulse. I might have to be corrected on that. <laughs> I don't know, but that album will help you embrace your darkness too. 
So Elizabeth, what was your favorite part about today's show? My favorite part of today's show was remembering my goth years. <laughs> I should try to dig out a picture and post a picture. What was your favorite part of today's show, Casey? My favorite part about today's show was the permission that our conversations had to go into your darkness in a way that possibly makes it a little bit less scary or frightening. I really appreciated some of the reframes that you did. And I hope that there were some nuggets in there that will help people embrace their darkness. Me too. On our next episode, slow the F down with happiness. Thank you for listening and enjoy your slowdown. If you love our show, please take one minute right now and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to our podcast. You have no idea how much this helps us. Thank you so much. And remember, Elizabeth and I offer one-on-one sessions. Go to slowthefdownshow.com to schedule your free consultation.